It's my favorite haunting, episode 34. I'm Ames. I'm Mel. And we're here with ghosts. Not literally, just their stories. Well, there could be ghosts here with us. We don't know. But we do have ghost stories for you, or stories of haunted places, and maybe some history, and maybe some, well, I have gore. I don't know what you have. Mine's implied gore. (laughs) No announcements today, I don't think. No. Can't think of anything. No. All right. Straight into it then. You go first. Oh, okay. I guess I'll go first. Okay, so I did the Crescent Hotel. And I can give you the actual address because it's a working hotel. Cool. 75 Prospect Avenue in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Eureka! Okay, so for some reason you texted me last night. Mm Mm-hmm. And it didn't come through until this morning. Yeah. But it was timestamped yesterday, okay. which is weird. So it so when you texted me that you are on your way over, mm-hmm. the other one came through at the same time. And oh. I saw it and I was like, oh, you, nice. I definitely didn't get it last night because <laughs> it was like six something and I was, I was awake. I was up and about and on my phone actually. It never came through. Anyway, um, you asked if we had done this one before. Well, because it seemed for... Uh, uh, some of it seemed familiar, but some of it didn't, so I was confused. I mean, I looked back through what I did, but I couldn't find anything that I did. The name of it sounded familiar, but when I saw Arkansas, I was like, no. Yeah, I didn't think we did anything from Arkansas yet. That was like the first thing. That was immediately, I was like, no, we haven't done this. But yeah, so I wonder, I will neither, I've driven through Arkansas. Yes, I've, wait, no, I have been to Arkansas. <laughs> Wait. The Ozark Mountains? No. No. Southern Arkansas. Wait, wait, wait. Eureka Springs? Wait, wait, wait. It's up in the Ozark Mountains. I know oh, that much. Oh, no. Maybe I just drove past it. I don't remember the name of the place. All I know, all I remember is that it was a dry county because we were trying to get booze and <laughs> we couldn't get it anywhere. And we went out in search of somewhere and... Angie was driving and she got pulled over and the way she talked her way out of the ticket was she asked the cop where there's an open liquor store (laughs) and he gave us turn by turn directions. I mean, like this guy was so specific. He's like, go 0.3 miles down this road. He was like a GPS. He knew exactly. It was hilarious. (laughs) It was so funny. Anyway, (laughs) that's my experience in Arkansas and it was really hot and humid and mucky. Like you could swim through the air. Oh, nice. Yeah. So. Well, um, one thing about Eureka Springs is basically the whole town sits on limestone. So the whole town is haunted. And then underneath that limestone are natural springs. So the whole town is haunted. Basically. Yeah. Limestone and running water. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So in 1886, this hotel was built as a resort for the rich and famous because of the healing qualities of the spring water. Um, But it quickly became unmanageable and fell into disrepair. In 1908, it was reopened as the Crescent College and Conservatory for Young Women, and that closed in 1924. And then from 1930 to 1934, it was a junior college. And in the summertime, it was also leased as a working hotel. So during school time, it was a college. And then in the summer, it was a hotel. Oh, the dorms? No, it was just like one building. Like they just used the same building. It was just a giant building. What? So they took the desks out of the rooms and put beds in? What, how does that work? I'm not sure how it works, but that's what it, they did. That's why I said they used the dorms, because then there's, like, beds and stuff in there. I guess. <laughs> I okay. don't know. In 1937, a man named Norman G. Baker bought the hotel and turned it into a hospital and health resort. He claimed to have discovered... an number of cures for various ailments, including cancer, and launched frequent attacks on organized medicine, which he accused of being corrupt and profit-driven. Now, the thing about Norman Baker is that he was run out of Iowa for practicing medicine without a license. 
Cute. He moved his cancer patients to Arkansas and advertised his new health resort at the Crescent. His cure consisted primarily of drinking the area's natural spring water or injecting carbolic acid into the cancerous tumors. None of those things sound particularly effective. No, and like one of the other cures I read about was something about crushed up watermelon seeds and corn silk like mixed into a concoction. I don't know if they drank it or if it was shot, but yeah, some really weird things. Snake oil. Yep. In 1940, federal charges were filed against Baker for mail fraud because of his fraudulent claims on his flyers about his cancer cures and stuff. So Mm -hmm. they got him for mail fraud. He spent four years in prison, and after his release, he later died of cancer. (gasps) Irony! Yep. The Crescent Hotel was left ownerless until 1946. And in the spring of 46, it was purchased by a group of men, John Constantine, Herbert Shutter, Herbert Bayfield, and Dwight Nichols. On March 15, 1967, the home was nearly burned to the ground, and at that time, Nichols was the only living owner. In 1997, Marty and Elise Rionek purchased the Crescent Hotel for $1.3 million. They oversaw a six-year restoration and renovation of the hotel. Unfortunately, Marty died in a car crash in 2009. Elise uh, remains the hotel's current owner. In 2016, the building was listed on the National Register of Historic Places. And in 2019, um, in February, they were doing construction to... to expand the parking, and they uncovered basically a dump site of bottles, medical specimen jars, gruesome surgical tools, and the like. Um, Apparently they were dumped there after being stripped from the morgue and autopsy rooms when it was a hospital before the current owners bought it. And it was about 400 items in all that they uncovered. I was fully expecting you to say a mass grave dump site and they found bodies. No. That's why I was making that face when I was like, oh, what? Some of the specimen jars still had organs, things. They assumed they were tumors that had been removed. But yeah, some of them had things floating in clear liquid. That would be an un... thing to find oh look at this it's a medicine bottle that's cool from whenever and then all of a sudden there's something floating in this one is that the gruesome medical tools i don't know there are some of those what makes a medical tool gruesome they're all kind of gruesome aren't they like bone saws maybe yeah (laughs) i don't know you say medical tools and i just like i think gross yeah so um that's pretty much all for the history and we can go on to the hauntings so for pictures there's a lot of pictures they have a lot of great pictures they're pretty cool you can go to americasmosthauntedhotel.com for pictures Um, there's also another site that has some pictures we can put a link to that because that one's a little more complicated for the address there's two in particular that caught my attention One is an orb, which makes me think orb, not like anything else, because this thing is giant, and it's, like, got weird, like, concentric rings and striations and things through it, and it's, like, that doesn't look like dust, that doesn't look like a bug, like, it's pretty cool. That's awesome. And then there's another one where it's, it looks like a picture in one of the hotel rooms, it looks like someone's sleeping in the bed. And then there's a cat in the foreground of the picture, like, staring at the bed. And there's this white misty stuff, like, hovering over the bed. Hmm. And I was like, the cat looks like it's looking at that that misty stuff. And it was, like, interesting. And there's an unusual number of pictures of cats in this hotel. And I don't know if you can bring your cat or if they have cats. I didn't, like... I'd bring my cat. Get a clear, like picture of why there's so many cats but 
There's cats all over this hotel. Road trip with my cats. <laughs> I'd do it. Okay, so Jack Moyer is the hotel general manager. He talks about when the Rayonegs um, hired some mediums to come read the hotel. One of the mediums, Carol Heath, uh, stated that he had discovered a portal to the other side for those who are on the same frequency. So 18 years later, um, what the medium told him came back to his mind because the ghost tour manager, Keith Scales, came to Moyer to share his concerns about a phenomenon that had been occurring on his nightly ghost tours. And it had included multiple guests becoming faint, some of them actually passing out briefly in the same exact spot on the tour, like every time. Whoa. So Scales um, took Moyer to the location, and Moyer realized that's the exact spot that the medium told him the portal was. Oh, shit. And to make matters even better... That's directly above the morgue. Nice. So there's some accounts of some specific ghosts. Uh, one is during the construction in the 1880s, while it was still in the frame state of construction, one of the Irish stonemasons plunged to his death, landing on a beam that would later become part of the floor in what is now room 218. They say he fell because he saw a beautiful lady and, like, tried to, like, whistle at her or get her attention <laughs> in some fashion, and then he fell off his ladder. And that's your instant karma possum right to your face. Yes. Um, this room, 218, seems to be the most active in the hotel. Um, they call the ghost Michael. I don't know if they've found that that is his real name, or they just call him Michael, or what, but... They say his name's Michael. Guests have witnessed hands coming out of the bathroom mirror. Nope. <laughs> yeah, like directly at them. Nope. Cries of a falling man in the ceiling. Or the sound of something heavy hitting the floor, like the sound of a, a bag body? of... A body? Well, they said a bag of cement, but yeah, a body. A body. <laughs> All I'm thinking of is, like, doing my eyeliner, like, in the mirror, <laughs> and a hand just comes out, like, because, you know, you do your eyeliner, you're, like, in the mirror, you're, like, your face is right in the glass, and yeah. then a hand just comes, no, no, uh-uh. I'd probably pick up, like, some kind of grooming implement, like, tweezers or something, and stab it. <laughs> uh, also, the door opening, then slamming shut, and then unable to be opened again. Then in the hotel's crystal dining room, many employees have encountered playful spirits in Victorian dress. One holiday season, while the dining room was closed, the grand Christmas tree and packages underneath moved from one end of the room to the other. The next morning, employees found the tree and packages moved with chairs circling and facing the newly placed holiday symbol. Another time, employees returned in the morning to find the dining room in perfect order, except for menus scattered throughout the room. Menus? <laughs> they were looking to what's good to eat. <laughs> um, another time, a waitress looked into the huge mirror between the doors from the dining room to the kitchen and saw a man and woman in Victorian dress facing each other as if in a wedding. The groom turned and made eye contact with the waitress, mm. and then the couple faded away. Mm. Another report is of a man, they call him Jacob, in Victorian clothing, sitting at one of the tables near the windows. He is reported to say, I saw the most beautiful woman here last night, and I am waiting for her to return. It was me. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Aww. And then many have recounted seeing apparitions in Victorian ball attire dancing around the room during the wee hours of the morning while the room was closed and dark. <laughs> the wee hours. <laughs> that makes me sad. He's waiting for, he's going to be waiting forever for her. Aww. 
And then the so-called Dr. Baker has been seen in the hotel lobby. He is described as a man in a purple shirt and white linen suit, which matches photographs of, that they have of him. And then on the third floor, which is called the pain ward, it's called that because when it was a hospital, um, when the patients got to the point where there was nothing else to do, they were moved here and they just like writhed and screamed in agony Mm. until they died. Jesus. They couldn't even like give them morphine or something? Jeez. I don't know. But uh, guests are woken by squeaking or rattling in the hallway. They look out their door and see a nurse pushing a gurney with a body on it, heading to the morgue. Jeez. And then down in the basement area, a hotel maintenance man witnessed all the washers and dryers mysteriously turn on in the middle of the night, which is the laundry room is situated right next to the morgue which still contains the autopsy table and the walk-in freezer. Nice. And uh, housekeepers report um, the apparition of someone called Theodora in room 419. She introduces herself as a cancer patient of Dr. Baker's and vanishes after courtesies are verbally exchanged. Hmm. Guests have also reported going to bed then waking in the morning to find all their clothes folded neatly, piled against the door to the hallway. I don't know why, but like, yeah, it was interesting. So, uh... That reminds me, was it that was the Stanley Hotel, right? Where somebody unpacks your suitcase for you? Was it the Stanley? Was it? It was some hotel, maybe not. There was some hotel where... That was one of the rooms. Yeah, where somebody I, I think I think you did that your suitcase one. for you. I don't know which one it was, but yeah, I remember one of that. the hotels we did. Was that that one or the New Orleans one? I think. And then a cook for the hotel named Steve had a couple experiences. Steve, I don't know what it is about the name Steve. Like, Steve, <laughs> I always wanted. It's a compulsion. Steve. One morning while prepping, he looked up and saw. A little boy with pop bottle glasses, dressed in old-fashioned clothing and knickers, skipping around the kitchen. That's the first time I've ever heard it called pop bottle glasses. I know. Me too. It's always Coke bottle glasses. (laughs) Knickers. Another morning, he turned on the lights as he came in to start his day, and... It's in quotes, so apparently these are in his own words. Some or all of the pots and pans came flying off their hooks at him. How how would he not know if it was all of them? <laughs> Maybe he wasn't sure if they were all actually hung up. So it could have been some of the total that are in the <laughs> kitchen. Yeah, Maybe. I don't know. I'm assuming he picked them all up after they came flying at him. Or maybe he's not sure if they all came flying at, or if they all flew off the hooks, or if some just fell off the hooks. Maybe. I don't know. That's, yeah, I don't know. So, uh, Ghost Hunters did this hotel in Season 2, Episode 13. Oh, maybe that's why it sounds familiar. It could be. Because I I, I sure remember this full-body apparition they caught on the thermal. Oh, okay. Um, they did everything they could think of to debunk it and couldn't. It still looks weird to me, personally, but, I mean, you can Google Ghost Hunters uh, Crescent Hotel and the episode will come up and you can watch it for yourself and see what you think of it. Another thing that happened in that episode was Grant uh, asked to stay in room 419 and... um, one of the other tech guys, oh, I can't remember who it was. Dustin. I think it was Dustin. Um, went to go set up a camera in there. And when he went to open the door, he couldn't get it open because Grant's laptop bag was propped up against the inside of the door. I remember that. It was on the, and there was no one in the room. So yeah. how did it get to the inside of the door? I remember that. Yeah. So That's insane. That was... Interesting. That was that was the only two things they got from that place, though. Then Ghost Adventurers also did this place. Season 19, episode 1. Season 19? That's what it said. It said it was season 19. 
Okay. I don't know. Google Ghost Adventures Crescent Hotel and you'll find it. I, I didn't think they had that many seasons. Neither did I. That's why I like double checked. I'm like, really? Are you sure? That's interesting. Well, if Survivor could have like 42 seasons and it's only been on since 2000, I mean. <laughs> Possibly. Um, so they uh, got a lot of EVPs, disembodied voices that they heard themselves and were caught also on the cameras that were filming them. And ghost box voices also. And then one of the comments on the clip from Ghost Hunters episode from someone named SD. I've stayed there a few times. It's the real deal. I remember lying on the bed and feeling the mattress dip as if someone laid down next to me. No one was there. And that was all for the Crescent Hotel. I'm pretty sure we stayed in a town near there because Eureka Springs sounds really familiar. Or Eureka. Like, I remember making jokes about Eureka, like <laughs> driving past the sign. <laughs> Maybe that's where the liquor store was. I don't remember. I don't know. I can't remember. I texted Angie to ask her if she remembers the town, but she hasn't answered me yet. So. <laughs> I mean, she probably won't by the time we stop recording. So. <laughs> Oh, that's right. You still have to go. Oh, I do. I was all set to wrap up. <laughs> Me too. I have a story. Oh, damn. Okay. I did do a started sitting right in front of my face, too. Um, that was weird. We both thought we were done. That's hilarious. And then I would have gone to edit this and been like, what the fuck? Uh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I did the Velisca Axe Murder House in Velisca, Iowa. Velisca. Velisca with two L's. So... I don't want to get too deep into the history because it's an unsolved mass murder and I could talk oh. for hours about it. Um, my favorite murder did a really great podcast episode about it. It's episode 168. The only thing I don't like about it is it's one of the live recordings from one oh. of their shows. And I just, it's nothing against them. I just in general hate listening to things that were recorded live, like oh, yeah. live albums. Oh, like I yeah. can't, that they're annoying. it doesn't matter how much I love the artist or the music. I can't. Yeah. Listen to them. There's, I just... there's one I have. My aunt gave it to me. And, like, through one song, there's this one guy, like, shouting something over and over. It's like oh, this God. Same yeah. thing. But it's just far enough away that you can't make out what he's saying. Oh, no. <laughs> but it's annoying. Um, yeah, I can't do those. Uh, but they're, I mean, they do, those girls do really well at going into details and everything. And, um, really like positing different theories and mm -hmm. that and so i'm going to direct you to them yeah. if you want to hear all the details but so i'm just going to gloss over it so Velisca is a small farming town in southwestern iowa uh on june 10th 1912 the moore family so they were an affluent family in Velisca, um aka they were rich they were well to do um and they were like well liked by the town and everything they were very involved in like church stuff so you have Josiah and Sarah, that's mom and dad, dad and mom, you yeah. uh, and then the kids, Herman was 11, Mary was 10, Arthur was seven, and Paul was five. Uh, so they were very involved in the church. So it was a Sunday night. They attended a church function that Sarah had coordinated. It was a children's day program and it ended around 930. So church ends, it's 930, they go home and... Mary had invited two of her friends to come over to spend the night. Ina, who was eight, and Lena, who was 12. Ina might be pronounced Ina. Okay. But I feel like Lena and Ina. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was Lena and Ina Stillinger. So Ina or Ina was eight and Lena was 12. Um, so they would have gotten home sometime between 945 and 10. You figure they probably walked. It probably wasn't. It's a small town, so it probably wasn't far. And they probably, you know, mm -hmm. so their goodbyes to everybody. Uh, the next morning at around 7 a.m., the Moore's neighbor noticed that the house was abnormally quiet. Normally, the kids and the, the whole family would have been outside doing their chores already. Mm -hmm. um, I mean... I guess outdoor stuff in the country. I don't know. Cows need to be milked. I don't. Well, no, I don't think that they were actually on a farm. Oh, okay. Like it's a farming town, but I don't know that they actually were on a farm. But they may have been. Um, but so she notices no one's outside yet, which mm -hmm. is not the 
usual for them. So she goes and she knocks on the door. There's no answer. She tries it and it's locked. Um, all the windows are, the curtains are all closed. She can't see in. So she goes and she gets Josiah's brother who has a copy of the key and he lets himself in. In the first place he goes, the guest bedroom, it's in, it's like right inside the door. Mm -hmm. It's the first room on the first floor. So that's the first room he goes to. He opens the door. He finds the Stillinger sisters. Um, their bodies are both on the bed. So, and they're dead. So he sends the neighbor to go get the town's peace officer who comes and searches the house. And uh, through searching the house, he finds the entire Moore family has been bludgeoned to death. Um, an axe that belonged to Josiah was found in the guest bedroom with the Stillinger sisters. Mm -hmm. And in the attic were two smoked cigarettes. So they think the theory is that the killer got into the house when they were all at church mm -hmm. and waited for them all to go to sleep before yeah. he came out. Um, and he, you know, he took the ax from the property. Um, did you say what year this was? 1912. Okay. 1912. Okay. June. I'm sorry. It started on June 9th. They were found on June 10th. Okay. Um, I just forgot the year. Mm -hmm. So the town's doctor estimated the murders to take place between midnight and 5 a.m. And everyone except Lena seemed to have been killed in their sleep. Um, Josiah is the only one that was killed with the sharp end of the axe. Hmm. Everyone else was killed with the blunt side. So he was actually like axed and everyone else was bludgeoned. Nice. Um, and they think that he did. I mean, I say he, it's possible that it was multiple people, but I think the running theory is it was one person. Um, he killed the parents first and then. Uh, the four kids were in, they were all in one room and then he went downstairs into the other two. Um, Lena is the only one who had defensive wounds. Mm. So she's the only one that fought back. And they also believe that she was sexually assaulted due to the position and condition of the body. At some point throughout this, the killer went through and covered up all the mirrors in the house with, uh, like, clothes or whatever fabrics were lying around. Um, and at some point he cooked himself a meal in the kitchen, which he left there uneaten. Interesting. And there was also, I read one article that mentioned in the guest room with the two girls where he left the ax. He also left a four pound slab of bacon. Okay. I only saw that mentioned once, so I don't know about that one. But I, That's I don't. Yeah, there's a lot of weird things going, and this is why, like, I have to stop myself because I mm -hmm. could go for hours about just yeah. the murder, <laughs> um, especially because it's unsolved. So there was a bunch of suspects. No one was ever convicted. Um, Reverend George Kelly was a traveling um, preacher. I had to think of the word. I was like priest, pastor, no preacher. Um, who was in he had been at the church function that mm -hmm. night. Um, he was a known peeping Tom and general pervert. Yeah. He eventually was like years later. He, so he, um, he skipped town at like 5 a.m. with no explanation. Okay. Um, which was like the end time of when the murders would have been, mm -hmm. um, happening. Um, they today they think that the the murders were, were around like twelve forty five. I don't know where that came from, but that seems to be the general consensus today. Uh, so around five a.m. he skipped town, no explanation, just disappeared. So he turned back up in nineteen fourteen in South Dakota. He was arrested for sending obscene material through the mail, uh, and then in nineteen seventeen. So because he left so abruptly. And, like, so immediately they had been in Villisca. They had been investigating him, like, on mm -hmm. the low. And in 1917, he was eventually turned over to Villisca. Um, and he confessed. And then he went to trial and he recanted the confession. Um, he was tried twice. The first time was a hung jury. The second time he was acquitted. So the jury just didn't believe the confession, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but... Yeah, so they acquitted him. Um, another suspect of note was, which this will come up again. Actually, both of them will come up again. But uh, a transient named Andy Sawyer 
Uh, he, he's, this is a little shadier though. He, um, showed up in Creston one day, which is a couple hours from Villisca by car. Like this is like, I looked up on Google maps, like, well, how far away is this place? So it's like, if he's taking the train, it's a little longer. Um, but he was kind of an odd guy. So he showed up, um, morning of the murders a couple hours later, uh, or around the time the bodies were being discovered. Uh, and he took on work with a railroad crew. And so he slept with an ax in his bed. Um, he went, so his boss stumbled upon him talking to himself, like ranting to himself. And he was saying things like, I'll cut your goddamn heads off. And then he like made the motion of like chopping. Like he didn't have the ax in his hand, but he was like making, like he was like spazzing out. Um, when the news of the murders broke and they were on the, so they say that it, like it was, it took away the Titanic was still in the headlines because it was only two months after the Titanic sink. So, but when the news of these murders broke, it bumped the Titanic right off the front page Mm -hmm. and, um, it was all over the place and he apparently was like fascinated with them and he was like buying the papers. And then he told his boss that he had, been in Villisca that night and that's why he left because he didn't want to be accused of the murders. So, so then his boss reaches out, um, to his sheriff or law enforcement there and, you know, lets them know like this guy's fucking psycho Mm -hmm. and he was in Villisca that night. Um, so they look at, so they arrest him and then they're looking into it. And then it turns out this guy, Andy was actually arrested for vagrancy in Osceola, which is, further out it like it like it doesn't it doesn't really match up mm-hmm. like so the sheriff there said that he sent this guy off on a train around 11 and like it's still possible but the timeline doesn't really match up and he would have had to um go to Velisca and he would have had to sneak into the house after the family was there mm-hmm. and then which is still possible because yeah. we don't actually know how it went down and then he would have had to come back the way he came to get to Creston. And like, I feel like, and like it would have been on the train. Like they didn't really, it was 1912. They didn't really have cars like that. Mm -hmm. So, and they didn't go that fast. So like if today it's like an hour and a half to two hour drive, you got to figure it's a few hours by train and then trains are on a schedule. So you got to get that train when it comes. And so I don't know. So it doesn't really match up. It's not impossible, but I think it's improbable. Um, and then there was an article published in the day book on June 14th, 1912, and that attributed the murders to the mad murderer of the West. So apparently the Moors were the fourth family killed by an ax murderer over the previous two years. Interesting. And that's the, like this, whoever it is took an ax and wiped out entire families. Like they'd get, they'd <laughs> go in the house and kill them all while they're sleeping. Um, so, I mean, that sounds like a serial killer, right? Yeah. Um, but it also only says that three of the more children were killed. It says three of four children. Um, and it doesn't mention the still injured girls at all. Hmm. So, I don't, but I mean, there was like somebody had scanned a copy of this article. So, okay. yeah. Um, and it was just a short little, it wasn't even really like an article article. It was just a short little blurb. So my favorite ghost adventures. <laughs> so Zach sat down and had an interview with um, a retired detective from the area, Roy Marshall. And he wrote the book called Velisca, and it's about the murders. Mm-hmm. One of the things that he, well, one of his things is that he's incredibly skeptical of the paranormal. He was like the whole interview. He's like, yeah, there's nothing there. That, like, <laughs> That's a bunch of hooey if you ask me. Um, but one of the things he did say was that um, George Kelly, the reverend mm-hmm. who confessed he was saying how the, his confession was incredibly graphic and detailed. Yeah. So he thinks that it's really like it was still submitted into evidence, even though it was recanted. Mm-hmm. And the jury just didn't believe it. And he implied that there was some kind of um, uh, some kind of uh, cover up hmm. going on. He had some kind of inside help. So then Zach and crew goes to there's the town's museum. It's mm-hmm. like a little 
it's like a little thing. It's set up. It looks like a shop in like one of those little plazas, like along <laughs> Main Street. And it's like a little museum of the town. And this guy Darwin that works there. So he claims that he has the actual axe that was used in the murders in the museum because allegedly the sheriff at the time went to the bar and got drunk and misplaced the real weapon, the real murder weapon, and went to the store and bought a new one to submit into evidence. Okay. And then somehow later the actual axe turned up. (laughs) They didn't go into detail on how or where it turned up and how it ended up in the museum, but that was the story this guy Darwin spun. Um, So you know these guys took that axe to the house. And used it as, like, a trigger object. Oh, Zach. Zach, Zach, Zach. Um, They also interviewed members of the Midway Paranormal Society. So Johnny lives next door to the murder house um, and and is a member of that group. Um, And he says that he feels darkness in the house and bad energy. Um... He believes that any of the good energy that's in the house is residual haunting. And then the bad energy that's there is intelligent. Okay. Just like the opposite of what you want. Um, He also claimed that because he lives next door and um, he's got kids and he's like, you know, I really felt like I needed to do something because I can feel this negativity bleeding over into our property. Yeah. I'm like, that's not good. Um, and then Chris also is on that team, and he's investigated there a couple of times. And he feels strong negative energy. And he said, this sounds so dramatic, he was using a spirit box during one of his investigations. And he said, and he did a little recreation. <laughs> it was kind of cute. In the name of Jesus Christ, I compel you to tell me your name. <laughs> I'm just, I mean, like, I get it, but I'm also kind of, like, easy there, exorcist. (laughs) The power of Christ compels you. Um, But the spirit box answered to that question. And the spirit box is the ghost box, the Frank box, the, you know, all the plethora of different names. But it's the one that's white noise, and then it will spit out words when you ask a question. And the box answered legion. Ugh, not good. No. Um, Very bad. And then after that... He felt like he felt really hot and his back was burning. So he takes off his shirt and they showed a picture of it and he had scratches and he had three vertical scratches and three horizontal scratches. They formed the letter L. L is for legion. Mm. Uh, And then Ronald also on the same team. um, He was also using the spirit box on another session and he asked who's here with us and it answered Reverend Kelly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're going on like the initial like tour and it's still, like broad daylight and everything, which of course like not everything happens at night. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're just doing like the walkthrough and it's Zach and Johnny and they're in um, the kids room upstairs and so Zach starts in with his, like, are you here with us? Should, like, prove you here, blah, 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 blah. And he's just like, demonstrate your power, demonstrate how powerful you are, something like that. And mm-hmm. then the closet door. So I will say it wasn't caught on camera, but he was messing with the closet door. And, uh, like, he had been standing up and he had it open and was looking inside. And then he, like, kind of half closed it and sat down. And the camera cuts to Johnny whose face just like, um, you guys can't see me, but like, it's a look of shock. And then Zach cuts off mid sentence and turns and looks, and then the camera cuts back to them and the door is closed. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, the door just closed. Did you see that? And Johnny's like, yeah, that's why I was looking at it like that. Cause I just (laughs) saw it. Just watched it close by itself. It wasn't on camera, but, um, they had former residents, Come by Linda Cloud and Patty Williamson. They are sisters, and they live there as kids with their family, their parents, and their other brothers and sisters. Um, when they first, and they both told the story of when they first moved in, they had to sleep on the floor in the living room because I assume you're still moving in. Furniture is not ready yeah. to go and everything. So they both heard the voice of a little girl. So they got up, and they told their mom, And they were like, you know, we heard this voice. And their mom's like, you know, it's just your imagination. Go back to sleep. Mm -hmm. 
because of course. Yeah. Um, uh, later on, not as in later in the day, but like time goes by. Their dad, so they said that their dad always liked to sharpen his own knives. Mm-hmm. So they said he's sitting at the kitchen table and he's sharpening his knife on the thing. And he's, um, you know, like going like away like you're supposed to. Yeah. And out of nowhere, it they said it looked like there was some kind of pressure on his hand that turned his, the hand holding the knife that turned the hand like toward him and then suddenly just stabbed himself in the other hand. Ow. Yeah. Like out of nowhere. Um, and during both their interviews, so their interviews were separate. Mm-hmm. Um, and during both of them, they both had like these extreme emotional reactions and had to leave the house. Hmm. And, like the, the one, I think it was Linda had to like sit down and she was like, I can't breathe. And then, um, but Patty was like, she started crying and, she, and Zach's like, do you want to leave? And she's like, yeah, sorry. I have to go. Can't be in here. Um, with Linda, Zach did an EVP and he said, are you, you know, do you recognize Linda? She used to live here. And then the EVP, they play back the EVP and this is, where is she? Um, Side note, there was a giant, creepy, plush clown in the kids' room. Oh, nice. And remember when we were at Rolling Hills and Sharon was like, yeah, when Zach Bagans came, you know, he hates dolls. And she (laughs) set up this whole room of dolls just for him. Yeah. (laughs) So he's, like, looking at this giant plush clown, and he's like, I swear to God, if this thing gets up and starts walking to me, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so there was, like, this kid's dress hanging on the back of the closet door, and he goes, hold on, I'm just going to... I'm just going to do something real quick. And he gets up and he picks up the dress and he just puts it over the clown's face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's one thing I can stand with him on. Dolls and clowns, no. Um, so they start their investigation. Um, and it's like, Zach's got something. I mean, I feel like Zach always has something to prove. Sorry, dude. But like, he, you know, he's kind of over the top. Yeah. Um, but it's like he really wants to prove to this guy, Roy Marshall, that something's there. So he <laughs> yeah. brings him in. He's like, you know, we're going to show you. And he's like walking him through, like, this is how we do everything. And this is how we do the EVPs. And he's showing mm-hmm. him like, there's no files on here. So there's not like, it's not like I'm going to like add something into the recording or anything. And like, mm-hmm. you know, so he's like really trying to go and like above and beyond approve to this guy. Yeah. So they're in the guest room. That's the downstairs room with the Stillinger sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, so Zach, they're doing EVP. Zach saying, "Did you have anything to do with the murder of 1912? Why don't you speak up?" But uh, so he says it in his Zach way, which is, "Did you have anything to do with the murder of 1912? Why don't you speak up?" Like, dude, <laughs> tone it down, man. Um, like so aggressive. Get more flies with honey. Uh, it's immediately fun. he's asked that question. Why don't you speak up? And immediately you hear, and you can hear it on the camera, is noises. And it sounds like someone's walking around like footsteps, but mm-hmm. they're all right there. No one's moving and they all react to it. Um, and they said it sounded like it was on the stairs or upstairs. Like somebody was walking up the stairs maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they go upstairs to investigate. They end up in the kids room and they go over to the attic around the, or the attic. They go over to the area around the attic door. Um, and then they go back downstairs into the guest room and it all seemed to be pretty uneventful. Um, like if they kept fast forwarding like 42 minutes, no EVPs, 53 minutes, no EVPs. Mm-hmm. So then they go and they take the recorder to the barn next door. And okay. the, cause then they're going to show Roy, this is how we go over everything. And so there's nobody in the house. They're mm-hmm. all in the barn and they're all going over the audio. And so they're going over, um, and it was from when they had gone back downstairs and back into the guest room. Um, they're talking. There's no immediate question before it. This this creepy as fuck whisper. And he goes, I killed six kids. Oh. It's so fucking creepy. It's so fucking creepy. And so Roy heard it. Roy was actually the first one to hear it. And he's like, wait, go back and play that again? And then they start playing. And it took them a while to decipher what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, like the first that I killed were really clear, but then the six kids was overlapping someone else talking. Oh, okay. Um, so they played it a few times, uh, but Roy was like, I didn't hear that when we were in there. What's that? That wasn't there. And they went back and they were like showing him like, this is, you know, we, they played it from the recorder because they imported it into the computer and the, with the audio thing. Mm-hmm. But then they played it from the recorder to prove to him, like, we didn't put this in here. Like, this is the recording. You can hear it from the speaker on mm-hmm. the recorder. Um, 
So as this is happening in the barn <laughs> and no one's in the house, the house is empty, mm-hmm. but they left motion cameras. Yeah. Um, one of them was tripped and I'm pretty sure it was the attic door. It's hard to tell because it's like, you know, it's that night vision. Yeah. Um, but I'm pretty sure it was the attic door. It had been left all the way open. So it was like all the way open up against the wall next to it. Mm-hmm. And it was just sitting there and you hear footsteps, like clear footsteps on the wood. Mm-hmm. Um, not like creaking, like shoes on wood. Yeah. And um, then all of a sudden the door just slams. Yeah. It, it, it's not like there's a wind that it like slowly like comes mm-hmm. off the wall. It's like someone grabbed it and slammed it, which... Of course, Zach and his all of his dramatic glory. When we when we went back into the house, we had no idea we had captured this poltergeist activity. Like, no, buddy, that's not a poltergeist, friend. <laughs> a poltergeist is centered around or coming from someone who's still alive. A poltergeist is not a ghost. Yeah. It's paranormal, yes. It's not... It's directly related to a person. So then... So that wraps up Roy. I think Roy was a little bit more convinced after that. Mm-hmm. Um... So the team goes back inside and they're doing EVPs. Um, Oh, they're working with the ghost box. So the three of them are in the living room, right outside the guest room. And Zach says, are you scared of us? And the ghost box says, no. Zach then says, tell us what, I mean, you know, there's like other stuff in between us, Mm -hmm. in between these things. But um, for what what got the responses, um, Zach says, tell us what your name is. And the ghost box says, Lena which that's not a common name. Yeah. So even if it was like their ghost box is like is spitting out like words or whatever, like for it to randomly say Lena. Yeah. Zach says, is that you, Lena? And then the ghost box says, wanna play? Oh God, no. So they say a few more things and then Zach says, are you a little kid that lives here? What's your name? And then the response is, Paul. Paul was the youngest, I think. Yeah, I think that's what you said. Paul was the youngest. Paul was the five-year-old. So after this, they go upstairs. Fucking Zach. Uh, Is someone here? I demand you tell us your name. Oh, my gosh. And the ghost box says, everyone's fine. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Zach, this is interesting, though. Zach then says, what is the murderer's name? And the ghost box says Andy. As in Andy Sawyer, the transient. Transient Andy, who was kind of Looney Tunes. Yeah, that would make sense if he left some bacon in the guest room. I mean, covered all the mirrors, cooked the food and left it, left bacon in that. Like, what's happening there? There's a lot of things going on. Although I do find it interesting that maybe the two of them work together. I don't, I don't feel like this was two people working together though. I don't know. I don't know. Cause then I was going to say like, I find Reverend Kelly's confession very interesting. Mm-hmm. And if he was a known peeping Tom, like that's how that shit starts. And if the, if Lena was actually like sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. Oh, you just made me go in a really bad place. I'm sorry. I was thinking, well, what if the Reverend was a peeping was peeping toming at them <laughs> while they were getting murdered? Yeah, and then and then like no. I then I went in a bad place. Yeah. So then fucking Zach Bagans. <laughs> Zachary fucking Bagans takes the fucking axe and goes into the attic and props it up. He lies down on the floor on his back. And props the axe like on a uh, like a support beam, so it's standing up over him, and he starts taunting. Axe head up. Yeah, so that like if it falls down, it's gonna like cut his head off. Stupid. Stupid. I mean, it like okay. Aside, it's probably not sharpened, mm-hmm. and it's old. Regardless if it's the actual murder weapon or not, it's old. Mm-hmm. But. You don't need an evil spirit to come manipulate it for it to fall and seriously injure you. Yes. Folks, don't try this at home. Seriously. This is not a good example of how you do these things. Don't be like Zach. Um, But he lies down and he starts taunting and he's like, are you still here? You still want to murder people? Push the axe on my face. Oh my gosh. 
fucking idiot. What's wrong with him? I mean, he's has a flair for the dramatic, that's for sure. But this is why, like, the the show itself is starting to grow on me a little bit because I love Aaron. I'm not, <laughs> sure. I'm not sure who Aaron is. But, well, he just... Zach is the main guy that's, like, a monotone, right? Zach is the over-enthusiastic Texas belt buckle faux hawk guy. <laughs> He's the main guy. There's Aaron and Nick. Nick, I like... I think I, I feel like on this one, I saw Nick for the first time. I don't think I've ever <laughs> seen him before, but Aaron's funny. Cause Aaron's kind of like this big dude and he looks like he could be intimidating. Mm-hmm. And, but like, for example, like at the beginning of this episode, they're like, Oh, in the basement, there's, they hear little kids crying. Aww. And, um, so Zach looks at Aaron and he goes, and that's where you're going by yourself tonight, buddy. And Aaron just kind of like shakes his head and looks like really sad. <laughs> like not i'm not like he's gonna not sad sad but like he doesn't want to do it yeah i don't know it's just it's fun it was a cute moment um but he's i don't know but then he said something in the basement that i was kind of like what the fuck why would you say that (laughs) hold on i'll get there i'm getting ahead of myself so however while zach was doing this boneheaded stupidity um he did get an evp on his digital recorder um, while he was taunting whoever is up there. And it sounds like they're, it sounded like a snicker, <laughs> like a, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Like they're laughing at him being an idiot. Um, so then Aaron goes down to the cellar where the children have been heard crying by himself. Um, and this is, <laughs> he says, so is he's start, he's talking and it's like he's talking to kids. It's mm-hmm. like he's talking to little kids. You know, when you talk to little kids, you get that voice, the yeah. little, the little kid voice, and like, okay, children, blah blah blah. So he says he's holding the recorder out in his hand, and he says, "So since the bad guy's upstairs right now, and you kids are down here with me, can you tell this red light in my hand, which was the recorder, who hacked you guys up with an axe?" his responding evp was there were around upstairs okay uh the whoever hacked them up with the axe yeah so then back upstairs so zach's still in the attic and then so the attic isn't really like above it's like the door is in the hallway it's like a small door Mm -hmm. and then there's like a little short set of steps that goes up. So it's almost like a half a floor or something. Yeah. And it's like a crawl space. So Zach is up in there and then Nick is with the camera sitting on the floor in the hallway and he can still see in, he can see where Zach is. So Zach in the attic says, show me that you're still here and still hurting people. You need to leave them alone. And Nick was holding a recorder, his own recorder around the hallway. So Zach asked the question, and Nick's recorder picked up the response, which was, we're going to keep them in the dark. Um, And then Zach asks, why'd you kill these children? And the EVP responds on his recorder, because they don't step in heaven yet. Which doesn't make sense, but that's still an interesting EVP. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Zach says, you're not supposed to kill children. You're the devil. You're a sinner. (laughs) You're not supposed to kill anyone. I know. That was my response. Like, you're not supposed to kill children. You're not supposed to kill. And I mean, I understand why he was was trying to make the point that, like, you're even more evil for killing kids. Yeah. But at the same time, like, you shouldn't be killing anybody, dude. Um, And then that responding EVP was, you're going to give up blood. Uh, These are some creepy EVPs. I know. And then um, while Nick was sitting in the hallway... And Zach was in the attic while Zach was doing the, like, push the axe in my face thing, like, when mm-hmm. he was telling the spirit to kill him with the axe. So Nick hears, because um, the kid's room is right there, mm-hmm. too. So, like, to I think to his right. So he hears toys moving around in the kid's room. Um, at the same time, on his recorder, picks up an EVP that says, Herman's going to get you. Herman was um, one of the other kids. The, the 11-year-old, yeah. Or 12, 11. Yeah, 11, 10, 7, and 5. 
Why is Herman going to get you? I know. Well, I mean, if it's like another kid saying like, Herman's going to get you. But it didn't sound like that. It was like, Herman's going to get you. Yeah, that sounds creepy. I don't know. So then Nick goes into the kids' room to do an EVP session and he's talking to the kids and he's, you know, what church were you at before you came home? And then the answer is, it's a gathering place. No, he didn't ask you what a church is. He asked you which (laughs) church you were at. Try again. Like, that would be like my response. Like, that's not what I asked you. Like, never mind that I have like this clear voice on my recorder that yeah. wasn't there. That's not what I fucking asked you, child. <laughs> Answer the question. <laughs> and then as he walked out of the kids' room after he finished, uh, there was a motion camera there on the floor and it caught this like black mist kind of manifesting and following him out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then this was interesting. So I found I initially found this on vice.com, but then I googled the names and I found it verified on like dozens of other news outlets. So this was a real thing that happened in 2014. Um a family, it sounded like they were on vacation, they were from Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um it was a family. It was uh this guy and his I think his wife was there. It sounded like maybe their kids were there and his parents were there or okay. her parents. Someone's parents so three generations and it sounded like a family vacation and they were there doing like an overnight ghost hunt um like a casual ghost hunt like mm-hmm. not like they're they're not actually like i don't want to say they're not real ghost hunters but they're not like associated with a team yeah i was gonna say they're not a team uh so he was in an upstairs bedroom and they said the northwest bedroom i don't know which bedroom that was oh, yeah. like why couldn't you just say the kids room or the parents room like North, I don't know which room is on the northwest corner of the house. Yeah. Um, But he was up there by himself. Everyone else was outside. And it was about 1245 in the morning, which is currently the agreed upon time when the murders happened or started. Mm -hmm. Um, I still don't know who decided that time. Like maybe just present day research and forensic knowledge, Maybe. like looking back on all the facts, I guess. I don't know. Um, but he called, he comes over, he calls for help over. They had like two way, like walkie talkies. Mm-hmm. So he calls for help over the radios. They go and they run upstairs and they find him in the room with a self-inflicted stab wound to the chest. What? Yeah. So, which reminds me of when yeah. those women were telling the story about their dad sharpening the knife. But like, where did he get a knife? Did he bring a knife with him? Yeah, that's weird. Um, but he was airlifted to Creighton Creighton University Medical Center in Omaha, and he recovered. He's fine, and there's been no other incidents like that since then. That's just weird. Um, and then, so when you Google search places, you know how, and I'm pretty sure like Yahoo does it does it too, like any kind of search engine. Um, you'll get like question answers. Mm-hmm. If you search a product on Amazon, you get like the question answer. So. Um, someone posted under the question, which it's not a question, but I think they just wanted to like put up their experience. Um, they said around 1245 AM, their spirit box started emitting screams. And they also claimed that there was a lot of communication from the kids. Um, but then somebody actually did put the question up. What kinds of things have you heard or seen in the house? And here are the responses. So Jolene N., posted at 3 a.m. It sounded like someone ran down the stairs, but no one was there. Also, it was very cold in the downstairs guest room compared to everywhere else, and the battery in the guy's video camera wouldn't stay charged in that room. Uh, And that was one thing that a lot of people noted was that the upstairs was very, very hot. It's an upstairs? Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, I also don't know what time of year anyone was there, but it just it was something that everybody seemed to know it was the upstairs was... Very, very hot in comparison to everywhere in the house, everywhere else in the house. Uh, Brenda D. posted heavy and sick feelings in certain rooms, walking activity in living spaces. Best to be with a small group that stays together and quiet. Lori K. answered, picked up a whistle on EVP to the tune of Have Thine Own Away. Also, okay, it took me a while to decode what she was saying. These were the EVPs that she got. Because she wrote, also, you scared me. Also, I know what you did to the Moors. <laughs> <laughs> but it took me a while to figure out these are EVPs. I thought she was, like, talking to somebody, but, like, also uh-huh. you scared But no, the EVP she got, the whistle, you scared me, 
and I know what you did to the Moors. That's specific. Mm-hmm. Um, Jessica F. posted, we have heard voices, picked up screams and voices on voice recorders. We've picked up apparitions and orbs on full spectrum infrared cam- video cameras. So it seems to be pretty active. Hmm. Um, it's in Iowa? It's in Iowa. Villisca, Iowa. It's southwestern Iowa. Um, oh, Omaha's in Nebraska. I was like, well, they airlifted that guy to Omaha. It's kind of the middle of nowhere. It's a small town surrounded by small towns. Yeah. So, yeah, you'd have to Google search it um, if you're on a road trip or you're heading out there. Daylight tours are $10 for adults and $5 for kids and seniors. So that's like your basic history tour. They, I'm sure they take you through the house and mm-hmm. describe to you where all the murders were. And this person was killed here and this person was killed there and da, da, da. Um, and you can do those tours Tuesday through Sunday between 1 and 3.30 in the afternoon. Overnight investigations are $428 for up to six people. And then each additional person is $75. And there's also a virtual tour available on their website. And it's VelliscaIowa.com. Cool. Yeah. Um, those EVPs were crazy, though. Yeah. Like, what are the odds that it's spitting out? I know it was a ghost box. Oh, oh, Jesus. I know it was a ghost box, but what's the, what are the odds that it spits out Andy and Reverend Kelly? Like, those are so specific, yeah. and they're so specific to that case. Um, oh, I was going to oh, yeah, go over the, the books and stuff, the too. The names, too. The, Lena. Yeah. Yeah. And Paul and Herman. Yeah. Like, Herman's going to get, yeah. Like, 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 Herman and Lena, like, that's, Paul is, like, you know, Paul's pretty common but those paul is the walrus (laughs) um yeah herman and lena and reverend kelly yeah like what are those odds um so i highly recommend my favorite murder it's episode number 168 um because they have all the details and the way they went over it because i remember listening to this episode and i was picturing a completely different house I was picturing like a big like Victorian mm-hmm. farmhouse and it like house is actually pretty small. Yeah, I would think like two bedrooms upstairs and a bedroom downstairs and the yeah. living spaces. That's, that's yeah, that's tiny. Yeah, and a kitchen. Yeah, it's teeny tiny. Uh if you are interested in books, there's well, Roy Marshall, he wrote Velisca. Mm-hmm. So he was um law enforcement. It sounds like law enforcement in the town. Okay. And he's a retired detective. Um and he's, I guess he's kind of considered a foremost expert on it. There's also Morning Ran Red by Stephen Bowman. There's Murdered in Their Beds by Troy Taylor. He's a paranormal author, and he explores these murders as a part of a pattern across the Midwest. So I feel okay. like he took, when I mentioned that article that attributed it to a bigger thing that had been going on. Mm-hmm. It sounds like he took that and, and went with it. Okay. Um, and then there's also for movies, there's the Axe Murders of Velisca. It's a highly embellished horror movie and it uses Reverend Kelly as the killer who was possessed at the time. Oh, okay. So, I mean, take that one with a grain of salt, but you know, um, there's that. And then there's, I guess, Lore, the podcast Lore has talked about it, um, which I think I, I listened to it on that one too. Um, and there's a few other podcasts that have talked about it. There's a few other like docu shows, hmm. paranormal documentary things that have gone over it, um, like scariest most scariest places or something. I think it's on one of the cable channels has gone over it too. So one of the best known murders that I've never heard of, <laughs> right? Um, when I came across, I was. Uh, I wanted to save it for Halloween, but I had started doing the research already, mm. and I was like, "No, I got to do this now. This is great. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff." But I had been a few weeks ago. I had been going down one of those like most haunted places lists, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "Oh, did that one? Oh, did that one? Did that one?" <laughs> and then that one came up, and I was like, "Why does that sound familiar?" And I started reading about it. And I was like, "Oh shit! Yeah, let's do this one." <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Really creepy. <laughs> yeah, that one's pretty creepy. Yeah. Well, it's terrifying, even from a true because the you know a true crime perspective, like shit, man, someone could be hiding in my attic and I would have no idea until they come down and murder me in my sleep with an axe. Yeah, people are way scarier than ghosts. Oh yeah, definitely. People suck. 
You just got me thinking of that guy that was in the other attic. No. Oh, the Spider-Man of Denver? Yeah, that I one. love that one. <laughs> yeah, that's creepy. That's another my favorite murder. Oh, which one is that? Oh, let's know. wreck that one while we're at it. So the Spider-Man of Denver is another great attic killer one. Um, my favorite murder, again, because they always do great, but they uh, they did a great episode on it. Of course, it's another live one, um, but it's number 85 if you want to listen to it. I'm not going to get into that one. It's creepy. It's so fucking creepy. It's really good. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. I think we've mentioned it before. Have we? I, I think we have. Well, now we've mentioned it again. Oh, so. Because it's really creepy. Yeah. So I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. So you can join our Facebook group. It's my favorite haunted group, the home of the paranormies on Facebook. Um, our Facebook page, my favorite haunting Twitter and Instagram, my fave haunting. And you can always email us, especially if you have a ghost story, you'd like us to read out, um, your own personal experiences, my favorite haunting at gmail.com. Did I hit everything? I think I hit everything. Yeah, that was everything. Awesome. Thanks for potting with us.